0: One of our favorite things to do here at Beyond Healing Center is therapeutic retreats. Our retreats are three to five days with holistic wraparound services, all designed to meet your personal needs and goals. You can choose from a menu of services, including EMDR, trauma-informed massage, nervous system-informed yoga and movement, and even equine therapy. From the moment you arrive to the moment you leave, we've crafted this experience to be one of safety and healing. Whether you're interested in a retreat for yourself, or if you're a therapist interested for a client, we would love to talk to you about how our retreats can be a part of a healing journey. Contact our retreat coordinator at at therapyatbeyondhealingcenter.com or visit our website at beyondhealingcenter.com for more information.
1: Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to Beyond Trauma Podcast. Bridger and I are here in our um, kind of temporary studio right now.
2: But we're closest we've ever been to the real one.
0: I can feel it under us.
2: It's underneath us right now. Yeah.
0: So we just got, um, Beyond Healing Center just got moved into our new building Mm -hmm. in downtown Springfield. Yes. We are so excited. Yes. Uh, We're kind of set up right now with all of our equipment in just a spare office, but our recording studio is being assembled as we speak.
2: Yes, that's right. So hopefully soon we will get. All of that kind of set up and pictures out to the Patreon members and yes. uh, just our social media because it's all because of you that yes. this thing can happen. So that's very cool.
0: Well, and kind of on that note, we have been promoting with Patreon. Um, looking for the, the support to be able to get and invest in the kind of equipment that we need yes. to continue the podcasting, to get better quality out there, to add in video content, mm-hmm. um, and just to continue to kind of create community around this information that we're talking about. And so it's thanks to all of you. Um, and as well as our listeners on our notice that podcast that we have been able to take huge steps in making that a reality. Yes. And you'll soon see the product and it will take us a little bit to get there, but, um, we were really looking to get video in on all of these episodes yeah. soon.
2: You'll be able to so. see our faces and our body movements and yeah. the looks we give each other. <laughs>
0: Being barefoot and like right. no makeup sometimes. <laughs> Drinking coffee.
2: Yeah. I don't wear makeup Always. a lot, but right. sometimes, you know. <laughs> never know, <laughs> who's to say, who's to say.
0: But with that, if you are interested in learning more about our Patreon and supporting us in this um, kind of journey we're on on getting more information out and trying to shift culture around trauma and healing, we would love for you to check out our Patreon site. We've got a lot of great resources out there. Um, Just additional kind of fun things like stickers. um, We're getting
2: maybe toggles soon, like for the phone. Yeah, I'm hoping we really push that. There was an idea floated the other day. We've
0: uh, lots of ideas, but that one feels like it's actually I like <laughs> that
2: one. I want to see people with their phones and they've got little Beyond Healing logos right, on
0: them. Right. My teenager thinks we're kind of behind the times in that. but um, Whatever. Right. <laughs> She's 16. Right. I'm never cool, so. No.
2: Yeah. And they're way ahead of us. Of so. course.
0: But yeah, there's different things on there, different resources that you have access to, um, chats and, you know, Uh, different content so check that out we'd love to hear from you send us messages let us know how you're feeling about what you hear and what you would like to hear more of Um, yeah but you can find that at Bridger correct me on this just in case I'm off but patreon.com slash
2: beyond trauma podcast thanks (laughs) yep i got you had
0: to hesitate there. yes beyond trauma podcast to patreon.com slash beyond trauma podcast yep and also if you don't mind just taking a moment and leave us a review on the podcast um rate us give us we'd love a five-star rating of course but um share with us some of your genuine feedback on that leave us a review it just helps to get our presence up so more people can find the podcast
2: yeah the more likes and comments uh that are left for each podcast, uh, that gets added into the algorithm somewhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Probably for each podcast player. Yeah. Um, to get us, uh, kind of higher up when you search trauma, uh, beyond trauma can get closer to becoming one of the first podcasts that shows up, which we really believe in the message that we're baking into each episode and, and putting into the intention of orchestrating each season of the podcast. And so it would be really awesome. Um, if you would go leave a, uh, review and, and, um, rate your experience of the podcast. That'd be really great.
0: As we get started in on today, I want to just say kind of a part one of this episode or a preface to that would be episode 17, Attachment in the Nervous System. So if you have not listened to that yet, either now or after you're done listening, take a minute and check that episode out. That's episode 17, Attachment in the Nervous System. It's going to have a lot of information that just kind of further um, lays the groundwork for what we're going to talk about today, and that's going in more on what is trauma's impact on attachment? Yeah. How do those life experiences really impact and influence our attachment? And then what does that look like in adulthood? Once we've learned how to navigate and um, survive those circumstances, what is the lasting impact in our adulthood.
2: Yeah. And I think um, all the episodes up to now have, have been devoted to kind of understanding how we as human beings develop. And if you're going to start that conversation, you have to look at the autonomic nervous system um, and its influence of energy and regulation in the body, which then leads to neurodevelopment, which then makes your brain and uh, body work together in service of what we believe is safe in our environment, um, what relationships feel safe, what relationships don't feel safe and how do we navigate those, uh, really difficult and intricate dynamics interpersonally. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is, you know, how does human relationship really come from, um, our nervous system and really come from our body more so than just, well, I don't like that person or they seem to not like me, so I'm just not going to hang out with them anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, or whatever it might be.
0: And that that might be the story we put around it exactly. to try to express or make sense of it for ourselves. But that doesn't mean that is the source of it yeah. or even an accurate right. story necessarily. And oftentimes is quite inaccurate. Yes. We're looking for something socially acceptable right. that will be received well by others to um, express what the body, the nervous system's experience is in that relationship.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And anytime I'm talking about, um, attachment styles or anything like that with a client, I always try to just preface the conversation with, you know, these, these words that we're getting ready to use attachment style, secure, insecure, disorganized, anxious, avoidant, etc. All of those are labels that were put on after the fact and mm-hmm. observing something that is utterly human. It's just a classification of many, uh, you know, kind of a pattern that emerged from a data set that somebody said, Oh, let's label it this. Yeah. Let's label this one, this. So that, that to me, I say that as a preface because sometimes in, in talking about this, there's people that say, well, I'm this, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm anxious avoidant or, you know, I'm, uh, ambivalent or I'm disorganized, uh, or I'm secure. What that does to me is it kind of skips over the nuance of our embodiment. Yeah. And really what's going on in the body. And so as you listen to this episode, I just want you to kind of view that as a tendency of our brain to want to, you know, label something and then objectify it as, well, that is what that is, which makes us stop looking for nuance, stop looking for um, ways that that might be true sometimes and not other times. And so, really, just becoming uh, kind of like a, a breadcrumb enthusiast of uh, <laughs> looking at, oh, that's that's actually just a piece of a larger whole. Let me continue to explore and and um, investigate um, what might actually be a deeper reality here.
0: When the you know, as you may find yourself wanting to say, "I am this," as we talk about these attachment patterns and and more, um, really realizing the only thing you are. As a human, Human seeking safety and connection. That's right. That's really the only thing we are. We have these categories to try to help explain um, and express and identify what our patterns might be and how we've learned to survive the world. And so we have these general categories, Um, but it's not what we are and we're never going to fit exactly into any of it. Right. But staying really just curious about your own humanity and your own life experiences rather than finding that category and saying that's what I am and that's what this must mean about me.
2: Right. These are what we're getting ready to describe are just typical ways that people respond to um, a situation that might threaten that inherent reality that we are human beings seeking safety and connection. When that is made difficult or even threatened, what does the human organism do? Mm-hmm. Well, research has shown that it, we, we organize ourselves in um, sometimes pretty predictable ways. That's why there's these categories, these labels that can be given. But just knowing that as we just as diligent researchers, this is just some uh, ways of talking about this. It's not definitive. It's not absolute. Um, It does change over time. It's uh, open to changing. But ultimately, it's about the human nervous system and how it's showing up in relationship with other Mm. nervous systems.
0: Yeah. So in that previous episode, you heard... um us talk about some attachment styles Mm -hmm. and just kind of as a recap and and laying the groundwork for us today, we've talked about there being two very generalized, you're secure or insecure. Right. Um, Very broad categories. Oh, yes. We have some qualms with that. As broad as they can be, (laughs) literally. Just two. (laughs) Yep. You're one or the other. (laughs) Really, it's it's much more of a spectrum kind of feel, but for the sake of talking about it um, and getting this information out there in... In our culture, that's how we present it. Is there secure or insecure?
2: Yeah. And what I kind of bring to the awareness of whoever I'm talking about this with, it really is about how you negotiate or even navigate your experience of need. Um, in a relationship, am I able to be myself in such a way that I recognize and honor my own needs and my own desires, and my own wishes, my own fears, um, all of my experience, can I own that in the space with this other human, and know that they not only want to know those things about me, but that they care about them, and that they are seeking to help me feel safe, and to actually help me make sense of my emotions and feelings together. Um, Maybe not necessarily in a, you need to tell me how you feel, and then we'll, like almost like a parent would, Mm -hmm. but in a way you're experiencing attachment with another person as I feel okay to share how I feel or I don't. Yeah. And that's kind of what will, will help you know whether this feels like more of a secure attachment Mm -hmm. because I feel safe in sharing who I really am with you or uh, an insecure attachment where I have to use a lot of strategy around you Mm -hmm. to uh, protect my, self yeah from you um without outwardly saying that's what i'm doing i'm using an insecure strategy Mm -hmm. and that's the way we talk about it here at beyond healing a lot
0: yeah i just love that language of strategy because it Mm -hmm. shows that we're just trying to get to we're finding that path to get to safety and connection yeah that's always our goal What do i need to do to get there and so um when we're you know we're all wired and set up for the capability of security yeah but it's through those life experiences where trauma occurs, and any many many forms of trauma. And we've talked about you know what is trauma to us, but um, as trauma occurs, that begins to send messages to the system of okay it's that that path to safety and connection is not easy it's right. not direct right. in fact, there's a lot of obstacles in the way, yes and you need to find how to bob and weave and dodge and protect. You need to find your strategy to get from point A to point B. And um, it's not a direct path. Now, some people have a a family environment or a home environment that it is a bit more direct. And they don't don't need as much strategy. Mm -hmm. So their systems don't learn and hold on to that. But as you're young, developing those strategies and you continue to grow and develop and mature in the world... Those strategies are held on to and oftentimes reaffirmed through later life experience. Yes,
2: they are held on to. And I love that language because they are utterly insulated. Mm-hmm. They're defended. Those those patterns and those strategies worked well enough when they were first employed. So we're going to hold on to them um, in later relational experiences because why would we second guess something that worked the first time? Yeah. We developed it for a reason. We weren't safe. We found a way to be safe. I'm going to continue to use that strategy. Yeah. And really paying attention to that throughout the lifespan because it it the strategy morphs over time, it becomes further complex,
0: more polished,
2: more polished mm-hmm. exactly more more presentable um, and sometimes on the other side of things, more chaotic at times, it, it, it can become even bigger in its presentation. And that's where, you know, traditional attachment theory talks about anxious and avoidant as two subvariants of insecure, and then a blend of disorganized where it demonstrates both strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just by way of just broad generalization and, and kind of recap, the anxious presentation of an insecure attachment style is concerned so much with um, knowing the feeling of the other Mm -hmm. Um, what are you feeling? How are, how are you thinking about this? What are you, um, doing uh, and does it affect me? And do I need to shift? Do I need to change? Um, it has that kind of sympathetic charge of the nervous system that we talked about in that last episode. Um, it's very concerned and and kind of deluded by the belief that if I can, if I can overemphasize affect my feeling, then I'm going to be able to stay safe. Mm -hmm. Because if we're talking about the feeling, we all know what the feeling is. But that omits cognition that takes out of the picture this sort of balance that we that we so need in a secure situation where it's not just about feeling, but it's about how we make meaning of that feeling together. (laughs) And on the other side of the insecure style, you have the avoidance strategy, which is uh, omitting the feeling altogether. Well, feelings aren't safe, so I'm just going to get rid of them. Um, I'm going to not be concerned about feeling. I'm not going to engage when feelings are brought up in conversation. I'm not really even going to act like it's an it's a actual reality for me. Instead, I'm going to be rational. Yep. I'm going to be thinking-oriented. I need to know the objective of the conversation, and I need to know the, way, the right way to do this because that's where I'll find safety. Mm-hmm. I will make myself useful, or I will make myself aloof. I will be away from the actual encounter of the relationship. Yeah. I'll be peripheral. And then the traditional attachment theory has that blended disorganized where it bounces between omitting affect and omitting cognition, omitting affect, omitting cognition. And in each omission, there is this, um, further emphasis, this overemphasis of the other. So where there's omitted affect, there's, there's overemphasized cognition and in vice versa. So we're, we're taking out our ability to find equilibrium and balance, mm-hmm. but all of it is strategy. That is our number one kind of thing. We want people to understand is that we're not doing it because we're crazy or we're broken or whatever. We're doing it because we're trying to find safety and connection.
3: Yeah.
2: We're just being human. It's strategy. It's going to find a purpose. We wouldn't do it if it wasn't going to be effective somehow in some way, maybe. We're human organisms. We're biological mammals. We're going to find the way of, you know, the path of least resistance and the way to more safety as opposed to less. Sometimes that looks paradoxical on the outside, but ultimately that's the goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, as a young child, if your home environment either had primary caregivers that required different strategies some required more of that anxious presentation of i need to be preoccupied of how's mom feeling what is she needing right now what i need to do how do i need to behave so that she's okay so that i can feel okay and that anxious um preoccupation with that and and obsession almost with it but then maybe dad was the opposite
2: dad had no feeling
0: no feeling at all or feeling that was really harsh right and and intolerable and, a, you know, a closeness didn't feel good. Right.
2: So it's easier just to act like we don't feel things. Right. Because then we can just connect, you know, on on meaningless things, quote unquote. But at least I'm able to be around them.
0: Yes. And so then in, in two, you know, that child grows up and has these two sets of strategies. I said, I've well refined and polished both of these. I know I need them desperately. And so as I enter into a new intimate relationship in my adult life, I've got both of them and I pendulate back and forth. And that's what that disorganized attachment looks like is we're pulling out both strategies because it feels so threatening. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I would hate to ever lose this person. Right. So let's have some of the anxious, you know, preoccupied and let's also be avoidant and not care dismissive. So that swing back and forth and that could be each parent was different or that could be one parent as a kid had their own swings back and forth and yes. as a child you had to learn to okay mom's showing up like this today i need these strategies oh she's totally different now i need these sets of, this
2: right. set of strategies and what um this kind of bridges into the next part of our conversation we wanted to have today which is the goal is co-regulation regulation is a, an, a is a um kind of psychological and biological experience of regulating the nervous system so actually finding calm peace rest let go of those uh, sympathetic activation or those dorsal activations in the nervous system that are seeking to you know fight flight freeze is a very common way of thinking about all of that but what we're trying to find is co-regulation that is safety in connection But um, in situations where that's not possible because of whatever barriers exist or whatever threats exist in the environment or in the person that you're trying to connect with, code dysregulation Mm -hmm. um, is right there ready to uh, start the strategy creation. Um, I'm experiencing the other as dysregulated, so I'm going to shift how I am in hope that my shift will, will increase the likelihood that regulation is possible. But because we're both human... The other person is going to respond to that shift. Yeah. And so the likelihood uh, is is going either way based on past experience of, is this going to lead to regulation or is this going to lead to further dysregulation? Yes. And that's where, you know, in a in a home environment where you had an unpredictable parent figure, you're always trying to find what's what's going to work today. How do I show up? Do I act happy? Do I not act like I have any feelings? Mm-hmm. Do I tell a joke? Do I not say anything? Do I talk about my day? Do I talk about their day? Do, you know, you're just kind of going back and forth. And if you get it wrong, oh, no, more dysregulation in the in the, in the room. Um, so we talk about the difference between co-regulation and co-dysregulation. Co-dysregulation being where we find relationships that are chaos in themselves, but that itself is a strategy. Yep. We're trying to find regulation, and it's activating the other person. Their activation then activates us, and here we go. We're spinning up.
0: Well, in our attachment presentations, those strategies are not landing on another object. Right. They're landing on another subject. Yes. Which is then going to have an impact.
2: Yeah, the subject will change. Yes. Yes.
0: And so it's where it's, if we were, if our attachment strategies were just being thrown onto an object and it was going to remain consistent, um, we, there wouldn't be a need for them. Right. But when that then has, um, results in some kind of shift or change from the other person, they have their own attachment styles and strategies, and they're going to react to that. And so that starts as you picture being a young child and your parents, Right? They were also subjects in that experiencing their own dysregulation. They were not, you know, just cold or harsh people or lovely, perfect people. They were their own subjects. And then it shows up too in adulthood as we're in relationships now. Yes. As we move into that dysregulated state, the subject on the other side of that is going to feel that and move into their own dysregulation Mm -hmm. or maybe be able to maintain a state of regulation and we move into co-regulation together.
2: Yes. And that's where the hope of neuroscience is that even what was dysregulated can experience Mm -hmm. co-regulation. But that is where it is our firm belief that you can't do this by yourself. You cannot self regulate um, which is a very controversial way of talking because that's kind of a big thing uh, Let's teach within self- our culture we need skills. to yeah where's the self regulation mm-hmm. skills you need to regulate yourself right now mm-hmm. um, what we and and others um, What others uh, uh, have said is that if if someone is able to regulate their nervous system genuinely and that they're able to find parasympathetic rest and digest that kind of calm peace, it's because they're able to evoke, bring up in themselves a past experience of regulation. Their body had to know it first before Mm -hmm. it could ever experience it again. So what we mean in um, kind of experiencing that regulation and and that it's not self-regulation is that it's based on experiences of co-regulation that we're ever able to find regulation mm-hmm. again. And that's why it can feel so distressing and difficult in adulthood to try to find a healthy, um, loving relationship. If all we've known in our past is chaos. Yeah. We don't even yeah. know what safety feels like or what love feels like. Yeah. It, it just feels like chaos, like I'm in danger. Mm-hmm. And so the strategies, the, the strategies emerge. If
0: if you relate to that experience of, I don't know why I can't regulate, self-regulate, I know the skills, I've learned the breathing, I've learned the grounding, I know the self-soothing, but it doesn't bring regulation to my system. It's not a shameful place to be. Look at how did I get to where I am? And did I ever really experience true... Healthy co regulation. Does my system even know how to do that? Right. And if you feel that internal desire to be in relationship to try to find regulation, that is a natural instinct of yours. Our culture paints that as um needy, codependent. I mean we paint it in all of these ways that are so shaming, but the instinct, the desire to be in presence with another human to find your own regulation. It's human.
2: It's human. It's beautifully human. And that's so much of the work that we do in the counseling room is normalizing that need. And there's so many cultural messages coming in at people, um, about how they, you know, their strategies are inappropriate, um, that they need to find kind of what you were saying, Jen, of they need to find, um, they, they need to find it within themselves first. They yeah. need to regulate themselves before they're ever able to be in a healthy relationship with another person, yeah. which is so if you know neuroscience at all, you know that that's they're preposterous. They're not- mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's antithetical. It's, it, it doesn't work. You can't find it within yourself. If you haven't experienced it in a relationship before we are mammals. That means that we base our organization of mind and our concept of self off of the appraisal of other people. Mm-hmm. We are made to be in community. So to say that you need to you need to love yourself first before another loves you or before you love someone else.
0: What a trap.
2: What a terrible trap.
0: I guess I can never be
2: loved. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what I see in my office all the time. Yeah. And they'll give me the justification, the story that, well, I'm just trying to, I'm really working on loving myself right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what I hear every single time in that is uh, an avoidance strategy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: That deep need that we have as humans sets us up to be very vulnerable and susceptible to toxic, unhealthy relationships as well. So I, I want to speak to that. In addition to this, is yes, we have that need. It doesn't mean it always plays out healthy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't mean as we feel the need to be in connection and go and pursue that that it's healthy or adaptive or supportive of a you know a healthy lifestyle for ourselves. It sets us up to be quite vulnerable and susceptible to falling into old patterns, especially if we don't come from a past where we know what it's like to be loved well. That's right. We're gonna. There's patterns that get repeated, or we're trying to correct experiences and find ourselves with um, unsafe people trying to find love from them. Yeah. So it it's important to be in a place where you're working on the self awareness, not necessarily the self love. But how do I become more aware of what my strategies are, what my needs are? Not shaming them, but really embracing that I have them. And with that awareness, I can go out and seek it from healthy places. Yeah, explicitly,
2: not Mm -hmm. through strategy that is subversive or implicit or that kind of manipulative feel that just comes out. And that's kind of where we wanted to... To, to spend the second half of the conversation today is on something that we refer to as the spectrum of relationality. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine a spectrum in your mind, um, we're going to now kind of think about what is on that spectrum and how our first half of the conversation applies to it. So thinking about the attachment styles and how that progresses into adulthood of really our goal is to try to find safety in connection. That's our goal um if that's our goal we have mon- we have multiple ways of sort of packaging that strategy uh in relationship with other people and this is going to kind of sound similar to some of the attachment strategies but ultimately we're looking at the nervous system and how it experiences regulation or dysregulation with another so on the far left side you might have independence um which is a cultural value <laughs> in the west <laughs> Um that we are independent, we are autonomous, we have freedom, self-sufficient. we exactly yeah self sufficient um I am in control of myself, that is such a clung to cultural archetype, you know that 's something that we value so much that it can um have um very sort of insidious uh or or um, dark implications that we don't really realize yeah. Valuing independence so much might have the impact that um, we turn away from relationship. Mm -hmm. We turn away from the impact of another and the connection that we might have to the other. Um, I'm independent, so I don't need you. Don't try to help me. I don't need anything. I'm good in myself. I've got this myself. Even when clearly you would really benefit from some help. Do you want to maybe be open to connection? Nope, I've got it. Nope. This I'm is me. Falling
0: apart, but I have got that's it. That's right.
2: Exactly. I've got it. Everything's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. Everything's fine. Yep. So that's on the far left side. The far right side, you know, if we're looking at the opposite of independence, we now have codependence where um, I am not okay if you're not okay. And I'm going to base all of my strategy around trying to make sure that our relationship is as enmeshed as possible.
0: Yeah. My regulation is so embedded. In how in your regulation or dysregulation. Yes. That whatever you are, I then become and feel and experience. And what the same. a
2: brilliant strategy. Mm-hmm. And I say brilliant because of how I just how powerful it is to the self to say it's actually safer if I go on this roller coaster with the person as opposed to just leaving the park. Yeah. Because they show me connection. They claim me, or maybe they claim me enough mm-hmm. that um, I'm just going to go on the roller coaster with them. I don't really care.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I'll defend them to other people. I will say, you know, this relationship is good because of this, or I'm just doing this. Um, because it, you know, it's some place to come home to, or it just makes me feel uh, like I have worth, yeah. like I have purpose. Um, and that, that relationship is will change you yeah (laughs) you become something that you weren't before
0: and so often it's it's a story that's not even as vulnerable as what you're saying right richard it's the story of well i just can't leave or no like they need me or something awful is going to happen if i do and it's presented um it, it can be presented many ways but in kind of the direction i'm thinking is it's this presentation of Something terrible is going to happen and I'm doing it for the other person or for the sake of the well-being of others. But the reality is Mm. I need it. I am trying to be okay and I need to make sure they get okay so that I can be. And I'm going to stick around as long as it takes to get them okay so that I can finally be okay.
2: Security and chaos is still security. It's still, it's, it's my chaos. Yes, but it's where I call home. Mm-hmm. I'm more safe here because at least it's predictable. The chaos is more predictable than uh, loneliness, yep. than being totally on my own, vulnerable, not without any worth. If someone isn't with me, how do I know I have worth? Mm-hmm. Even if that relationship is toxic and destructive, at least it's a relationship, quote unquote. Yep, That's co-disregulation. So that's that's the other side of the spectrum. And what we uh, talk about at Beyond Healing is that what we're really wanting is neither end of the spectrum, but is co-regulation, which is found in interdependence where I, I show up to the relationship with awareness of what I'm bringing Mm -hmm. and recognition that you yourself are bringing things to the relationship. And I'm inviting us myself and you into a place that we can share what we're bringing, what we're experiencing and that collaboratively together, not because of we're trying to earn worth or, yeah. or or trying to find identity, but because we know our identity and worth, we can collaborate mm-hmm. on ways to meet the needs of the environment. To, to utilize the resources available to us to find what we need. Yeah. It is a collaborative effort. It is not a codependent effort where it says well, I'll just feel exactly what you feel. You feel exactly what I feel and we'll just be enmeshed and that will be the meeting Mm -hmm. of our needs. But it's to say, no, this is, this is actually what I'm experiencing and I feel it's different than what you're experiencing. Um, can we talk more about this? Mm -hmm. I want to hear where you're coming from and for you to hear where I'm coming from so that we can see each other more clearly and really choose to partner in the meeting of this need that we're experiencing together.
0: And in that space of interdependence, it doesn't mean that everybody feels strong and confident and great and, you know, has it all together. There's messiness in that too. There's dysregulation. There's fear. There's all of the discomforts of life. But it's still from a stance of, I have someone that I can collaborate with in this distress, Mm. in this disturbance, and not... They're not going to try to rescue me or make me not feel that or change it.
2: Invalidate my feelings.
0: Or push me away and tell me to go deal with it on my own. Yeah. Dismiss me. Right. But it will instead be, how can I share this and feel validated in my experience, but also know that the other person is sturdy and strong and stable enough that we can work through this together and collaborate on how do we resolve this and survive and find safety and connection.
2: Yeah. Um, Jen, I'm curious, what are some of the hallmarks that you look for even in just like your clients of how you're coming to know these, these strategies in them mm-hmm. of where they're at on this spectrum? How do you know it in your body where they are?
0: Yeah. It, it comes from so many different places. There's breadcrumbs everywhere, everywhere. Yes. So it's hard to categorize it specifically, but the very first is their interactions with me. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it feel like between me and them in that space? Um, and usually strategies are really pretty powerful uh, and well put in place for those first few sessions. With mm-hmm. three, four, five, six sessions in, it becomes more clear. Very evident. Right? Yeah. But, but there's breadcrumbs from the very beginning, mm-hmm. the very moment. Did they show up 15 minutes early? That's a little tiny breadcrumb might mean right. nothing, right? But it also might mean something. Yeah. Um, Were they
2: distracted when they came in the room? Yes. Okay. There's What's that. the they...
0: energy between us, and yes. how does that first session go? Um, so it's it's immediately shows up in the relationship, and then is the processing of their other relationships in uh, in adulthood. Mm. A lot of breadcrumbs there, and then of course as we get into exploring relationships in childhood tons of breadcrumbs there and as a therapist in that in that space we're looking for those we're so aware of those and we're inquiring about them yes and not in a hidden way but very directly explicitly tell me about your relationship with your mom yes (laughs) as cliche as it is it's a great question it is in just general relationship outside of that therapy room it may not be as much on the like oh i'm watching for it and i'm going to directly ask about that i wouldn't ask you know the cashier at the grocery store to tell me about her relationship yeah. with her mom they might but yeah exactly
2: <laughs> especially so, if she's eye-rolling uh watching an interaction between a mother and a child
0: absolutely <laughs> what is this what's going on there yeah <laughs> yeah but the breadcrumbs are everywhere. Um, and, w- you know, even myself as a subject, my breadcrumbs are everywhere too. And yes. if people are watching for noticing, they're going to see those. Yes. So my own attachment experiences will show up to influence how I interpret someone else's breadcrumbs. Yeah. And that's just, you know, there's that interaction and that inner subjectivity between them and myself mm-hmm. and just being curious about all of that.
2: Yeah. One of the ways that... Um you know the the reason I kind of differentiated between attachment styles and that spectrum of relationality is you can see strategies of uh, insecurity on both sides of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's not mutually exclusive. It's not that insecure, uh, avoidant is independent and and secure, uh, anxious is codependent. You can be anywhere on that spectrum. So it's really about looking for the nuance. You know, that's the way we started this conversation was don't just go at the label and stop looking. Mm -hmm. There's breadcrumbs everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I I use the analogy all the time of where there is a loaf of bread, there are breadcrumbs. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. don't just look at the object of the bread. Look for the crumbs that are underneath it because that was once a part of it, but now is disparate. It's scattered. It's Mm -hmm. different than it was before. And so really paying attention to how do you feel in relationship do you feel that you're able to express how you truly feel and and actually what you want and and your dreams and your your desires and your your curiosities your creativity your all of your thoughts or do you feel that well sometimes I need to edit this part of myself uh, maybe not say this maybe never bring this up mm-hmm. um, avoid attention on these things don't talk about how I feel or my how i'm feeling in the relationship at all those are indicators that your body is utilizing strategy with the person that you're in relationship with and this doesn't just have to be an intimate partner this can be a friend this can be your mom that your dad anybody your grandma all of it it's 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 when a human is in relationship with another human that these strategies can Mm -hmm. emerge and that's where we really just want to be kind with ourselves in looking into you know what would make me feel more safe In this environment right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to have a hard conversation with somebody. Maybe I need to say, hey, up until this point, I haven't really felt like I've been honest because I feel afraid. Mm -hmm. Or I feel like maybe we're not being honest with each other. But just inviting that vulnerability and that transparency between the two people in the relationship, that is what's going to lead to deeper connection. We collude a lot in our strategies of just Reacting without awareness and just carrying out the same attachment strategies we learned early on in life yeah. and that is where we find ourselves in repetitive cycles of um, dissatisfaction relationship. I don't know why I just can't have a healthy and, and satisfying relationship. I just can't find it. That's another indicator you're mm-hmm. using strategy and you can be all across the spectrum in attachment and all across the spectrum in relationality, but you're using strategy
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as we self-reflect in that way of, uh, Bridget, as you were saying, asking those questions of do I feel like I can be myself or share my feelings Yeah, and trust that that can be there. Also, you know, reflecting with your partner or noticing, does it seem as though they feel like they can show up with me in that way? Yeah. Are we in a space of co dysregulation or codependency or independent mm-hmm. versus this interdependency and being able to notice that and it's not to say. Don't rely on your strategies. Get rid of all of them and just totally lay it all out there and trust that it's going to be okay. But really asking that hard question of, do I feel like I'm in a relationship, that we can start to take those steps in that direction. And if I put that invitation out there and it's rejected and denied and dismissed over and over again, I may have to come to that hard place of saying, do I settle in this space or... Of using my strategy. Right. Yeah. Of using my strategy or do I recognize... I want something more than this. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm saying, why can't I find a happy, healthy relationship? Yeah. So I may have to really check in and ask those hard questions and notice what my own strategies are and how can we move into a place of really safety with another person and trusting that we don't need them all the time.
2: Yeah. And this is such a delicate process and something that it takes a lot of time and we find ourselves slipping back into our old ways a lot. Um, you remember your body found that strategy in pursuit of safety. Yep. So to contemplate changing, it feels impossible. And that's where therapy, you know, so many people, um, drop out of therapy after three or five sessions because they're just like, it's not working for me. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, that might be an indicator of, a, a an attachment issue between you and your therapist, but also it, it might just be a natural, um, unfolding of your attachment strategies that you need to. You need to stick in it. You need to stay because that relationship that you're building with your therapist is reflective of these attachment strategies.
0: Absolutely. It's the canvas that's all projected on. Exactly.
2: And so if you're experiencing sort of, um, uh, you know, feelings of, I don't know if my therapist cares about me or if I don't know if my therapist, if my therapy is working, um, be curious about that with yourself for sure. But also know that that is also a way that your body can be creating strategy yeah don't change
0: and it may be the opposite end of the spectrum of i do think my therapist cares about me or i care about them and that's wrong that's inappropriate yeah what's wrong with me right for this i gotta i got a bolt yeah
2: i gotta get out of here mm-hmm. i'm getting too close too attached they're gonna reject me mm-hmm. or they're you know i'm bad for wanting this or, yeah. or liking it um this isn't good yeah yeah, yeah.
0: i think that therapy relationship is a really beautiful place to start. If you're saying, I want to start exploring what could it be like to let down strategy or at least acknowledge my strategy, speak to it and let it be known. That relationship is difficult and counterproductive as it feels of, okay, we're talking about true connection and I'm going to pay someone to do this with me. That's an odd dynamic that we have there, but it's that dynamic sets it up to be one that's reliable, consistent, You know, you can count on every Monday at 1 a.m. I am going to, or one, hopefully not 1 a.m. I will not be seeing any
3: professional boundaries.
2: Okay, yeah.
0: Whatever time, 4 p.m. Yeah, I will be there, and they will be there, and they will focus on me and care about me and be interested in me consistently. That is a beautiful space. Yes. What an invitation. Start this work here, Mm -hmm. and then as my system could maybe learn for the first time ever what is it like to be seen and accepted and cared for in this way and feel yeah. true safety in connection with wow. this person, then what am I maybe capable of in my world outside of that room?
2: I know now that it's possible. Yeah. So I can go out and seek it in the in the environment and know yes. better for myself when it's not there. Yep. When I'm trying to convince myself that it's there and it's really not.
3: Yes.
2: Um, th- there's so much in that process for, for people that, um, one of the uh, things that I, that I talk about with my clients um, is I, I wonder if this space between us can be a place where you try, try it out for an hour, <laughs> letting down your strategy and just being. Because in here, it is a fertile, it's just a testing ground. It's just, it's just we're trying out different things. And then when you go back out, you can put all the stuff back on if you want and continue to be in relationships the way that you have been. But I just wonder if this can be a safe enough place where you can try out a new way of being. And that, you know, I I wonder for the listener what it's like for you to hear us talk about therapy in this way and to think about maybe taking this to your therapist and (laughs) saying, you know, I heard this podcast and they were talking about exploring new ways of being um, in the attachment relationship of therapy, and I'm really interested to know what you think about that Yeah. and just to talk with the therapist about that um, because that is over and over in, the, over, over in the research, the relationship between the client and the therapist is the primary mode of healing, mm-hmm. the, the, the active ingredient. It's the therapy relationship, not necessarily the modality, yep. not the tool they're using or what they label themselves as. I'm an EMDR therapist or I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist or I'm whatever else it's not the modality that leads to change. It's the relationship that emerges between the therapist and the client.
0: Yeah, I keep seeing just this imagery of like a tricycle with or training wheels, a little bike and, and the idea of the goal is to not always ride the tricycle. Right. Right. It's to take that step by step and learning. I, I feel what it's like to kind of move my legs in this way and to balance in this way and to steer the handlebars in this way. The goal is to be able to continue to advance that into riding a mountain bike, but to jump on a mountain bike when you have no idea how to ride a bike is disastrous and dangerous and will not end well. No. Um, and so that idea of the therapy relationship might be what would it be like if I just try the tricycle first? Right. And I learn that it doesn't matter what color it is or what kind of trick it is, but the fact that it has these supportive training wheels on there. I mean, that's that therapy yes. relationship is gonna be safe enough and supportive enough to just try this out and it might be risky, but I'm gonna see how it goes. Then we grow and develop into a space of finally moving into that mountain bike ride. At some point in your world, and saying, "I can do this." Yeah, that's right. Without it necessarily having to be within that one relationship, I can try it in other environments and other relationships.
2: Yeah, and that—that that to me is the hope of therapy and and the hope of healing of beginning that process for yourself is recognizing when you don't feel safe in a relationship and having the courage to take time for yourself mm-hmm. to say, "I, I want to explore this." I want to know more of myself and why I don't feel safe in the present moment and to actually speak that in, into the space in such a way that says, but I'd like to. And I really want to find out how we can bring that into the space for ourselves and for the relationship as a whole. Yeah. Beautiful. Jen, I'm curious what, and this is sort of the, the hallmark of the ways that I'm coming to end podcasts <laughs> okay. these days, but what, what are you taking away from this conversation right now talking about this?
0: So much. It's just amazing when you go through this. How many times have we talked about this? Like, I mean, Countless yeah. in sessions together in a personal life, <laughs> yeah. countless. But there's always something new that registers yeah. each time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's beautiful the way it continues to relate to whatever it is that's happening in your life now and continues to integrate in those experiences of just catching your body up with that information of how yeah. true that really feels. And so I think right now for me personally in this, the greatest takeaway is that finding safe relationships to really say, what's it like to trust, to let down my strategy and to just be present. And it might be in these small steps and mm-hmm. doses, um, and it might be in a really big way sometimes, but to trust in that and to really trust that the gain is worth yeah. the potential risk um, if it's a safe person, if and it's a safe person. determined, yeah, that safety.
2: Yeah. One of the things that my mind just continues to come back to is just how adaptive the human being really mm-hmm. is and how given that that's our main goal to find safety and connection for the sake of survival, yeah. what we're willing to do Man. to make that possible and to make that really something that we feel might be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if we can't have it right now, it is possible. Then we know how to work to maybe make it possible. We'll use strategy and how pervasive and hidden to ourselves that strategy yeah, can be. Not,
0: not even consciously
2: aware. To, no, no. A majority of the time, it, we're not conscious of it. We're just <laughs> reacting. <laughs> we're just being in the space and, and we're doing it because we feel uh, based on our lived experience that that's the that's the best way for right now. Yeah. So why change it? And that's so much of what I spend time with my clients on is just helping to normalize and just name really what that activation feels like and why that strategy is coming forward Mm -hmm. so that people can be honest with themselves about, do you feel safe really Mm -hmm. in this space right now? Because I don't know, something about my body just tells me that you're afraid and that's okay. Let's talk about it. Let's speak into the space that fear because then we can invite co-regulation into the space. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to share the burden. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah,
2: that's what I'm taking away.
0: Absolutely. Beautiful takeaways. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear as I mentioned before from you guys what you're taking away. From all of this content, um, from all of these episodes, please write in. We absolutely love hearing. And oh, we, my gosh. We read every yes. message. It's awesome. We really do. So please share with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um Yeah. Thank you guys for just being here with us in this and listening in. And uh, we hope this all just kind of sparks new curiosity and interest about yourself and your relationships.
2: Yes. Um, If you're local uh, to the area or to Missouri, we do have uh, openings for therapists um, that we have on our staff that are are taking um, new referrals. And so uh, you can find out more information on that at beyondhealingcenter.com. Um, there's a tab on there that says therapy and we can get connected that way, or you can just email therapy at beyond mm-hmm. Um, we, we know that good therapy is hard to find and we are a practice centered around ongoing education and, uh, really intentional supervision, um, to make sure that's that therapists all along their developmental timeline throughout their life have the resources to do really yeah. good therapy. And so we're we're really um, excited to be able to bring new therapists onto our team, and um, they'd love to see you.
0: Yeah, so anywhere in the state of Missouri could That's right. be virtual if That's you're right. not within driving distance. But. That's right. <laughs> yep,
2: but if you're local to Springfield area, you can come to our building.
0: Yes, we'd love to see you. Yeah. All right, All right guys, thank you so much for listening in, and we'll talk to you again soon.
2: Safe journeys, everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.